Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 46th episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn. I really appreciate everyone tuning in more than you could possibly know. Please help grow the podcast by sharing it on social media, telling your friends about it, and by leaving a rating or comment. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at It's R.A. Kuhn. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N. That way you won't miss out on any news about the Pulling Tart Podcast. I'd like to welcome on a special guest in Zach Keller. Zach is the Director of Operations for the Somerset Patriots, the new AA affiliate of the New York Yankees. Can't wait to chat with Zach right after this break. Zach, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. How does it feel to be a part of the new AA affiliate of the New York Yankees? Awesome. Well, really appreciate you having me on. Uh, I'm excited to get going with this. Uh, honestly, it's it's been an honor. It's such an incredible moment for this organization. Um, this entire staff and community has really worked hard for this over the past two decades and so this kind of feels like a culmination of all those efforts. Okay. All right. Awesome. So what type of changes are you already seeing with the change to affiliated baseball? The first one that jumps out is really just the excitement and the influx of energy in our community and in our area. Um, people are jumping on board, looking to be a part of this. Uh, we've always had a very, um, a very interactive fan club and we've always had a very um interactive community but since this announcement in the past two months or so we've had about 760 new uh season ticket accounts and seats so uh the energy and excitement's been through the roof i'm sure wow that that is an incredible spike in uh season ticket plans for sure uh what type of other changes are you guys anticipating um well first and foremost we're getting ahead of things here uh you can see it on our social media pages, but we're getting ready to renovate a lot of aspects of the ballpark and just get ready for uh, this new deal. Um, the first stages are going to be mostly uh, the player facilities, uh, such as new hitting cages, uh, renovating clubhouses, okay. and um, other locker room areas. Um, that's going to be stage one, sort of, that we've already gotten going with. Um, it's been a big transition, uh, but we're, we're excited. We really are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, and and while the change was kind of shocking, um, I'm sure it wasn't for you guys, um, and and just how exciting it must be, honestly. No, it's especially with uh, 2020 being a rough year. This was a this was a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, and uh, definitely a bright point for our staff, for this community, and for everybody involved. And we're very excited for the future. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. 
So can you tell the listeners uh, how you started out as the visiting clubhouse manager, and you got promoted multiple times, and now you're the director of operations? Yeah, um, I guess you can kind of say that it started with my parents and I as season ticket holders at the ballpark since okay. even as early as 2001. Wow. Uh, it, I, I've literally grown up with the organization and at TD Bank Ballpark there in Bridgewater, and I was approached at the beginning of the 2009 season, actually, and uh, joined the team as a bat boy. Mm. And, I mean, as a high school student, all of a sudden I'm thrown into the clubhouse with all these ball players that I've grown up watching, and it was just the coolest thing. It really was. And uh, through there, I've worked my way up and uh, spent about four or five years as the visiting clubhouse manager with the team, uh, which I guess you could say is really where I had a passion grow for working in sports full time yeah. and where I kind of would network around and just um, really get to know a lot of the front office members and realize that like, Hey, this is something that I can make a career out of. This is an industry that I've grown up loving and I I'm learning the ins and outs of things and learning the behind the scenes things that not everybody gets to see. Yeah. Um, and then that influenced my decision to go to Seton Hall university and study sports management. Okay. And, Right after that, I took an internship with the front office working in operations. Um, they brought me on full-time at the uh, conclusion of that internship. And then um, just like how minor league baseball works, I've been doing a lot of things since the front office. Um, so I've been working customer service, uh, spent a little time in the ticket office. Mm-hmm. Um, I currently help run our community mascot program, our internship program, our uh, game day staff program. Um, and that's just like minor league baseball, wearing a million different hats. Oh, yeah. And I truly feel the more that you prove that you can do and the more that you show your value to an organization, the more opportunities you just open up for yourself. Um, so that's what my goal was since day one. And um, as you mentioned, I was um, doing all that, and I now see myself as the director of operations, which is – it was a uh, – it's a big moment for me that I'm very proud of, and I couldn't have done it without all the help from everybody else in the organization. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, wow, that's incredible that you were season ticket holder, went to Bat Boy, clubhouse manager, and then now now look at you, man. You're director of operations for the AA affiliate of the Yankees. Holy crap. Yeah, if you told me uh, on my way to my first game that this is how the story would have unfolded, I would have laughed right in your face. Yeah, yeah. But that's... That's life sometimes, and I'm very thankful. I'm very lucky, um, and I sincerely mean it when I say I could not have done it without everybody in this front office that has helped me along the way, taught me things along the way. Um, we've got a vice president of operations here that I look up to very fondly, um, who's like a family member to me, and every single day I work with him, and I try to learn as much as I can. His name is Brian Owicki, best in the business, and I, I could not have gotten to where I am without him. All right, perfect. So in your opinion, what exactly made Somerset and the Patriots enticing to the Yankees? I don't think you could start this question off without first giving an immense amount of credit to the Califer family. Uh, Steve Califer founded the organization from its inception um, between the hard work of him and his sons, Jonathan and Josh. Um, they just, since day one, have been so invested in us and in Somerset County. Um, working for them, they just give us all the tools necessary to succeed 
and to thrive. Um, so they've they've really set the standard and set that bar. And then from there, um, our president general manager, Patrick McVary, has been here since day one with the organization. He's won multiple executive of the year awards uh, during our time in the Atlantic League. And his leadership and his uh, consistency at the top has really been a staple. Um, and then that just breeds this environment and this culture that we try to set forth in Somerset. Um, this front office has worked so hard over the past two decades to create a brand and to just create an image of who we are. Um, and that stems all the way from the people that I just mentioned. Um, our vice president of public relations, Mark Rusnoff, has been with us since almost day one and really wow. built this brand and created who we are from a media standpoint. And he puts forth some of the most amazing video content you'll see nice. in minor league baseball. And it's just awesome seeing the community engage in it. And um, that speaks to our community as well and our fan base. Um, they're always supportive. They're always behind us. And um, that's what that's what I think enticed the Yankees to come to us with this opportunity. Okay. And then the last thing that I'll say to that is we couldn't have gotten here without the hard work of our groundskeeper, Dan Perner. Yeah. Uh, he's been in the news a couple times with this. I'm sure. Uh, I kid you not when I say that the number of times that I've worked with him on a personal level on um, field rentals for, say, Little League games mm -hmm. or high school baseball games, you know, anything to bring revenue in. Mm -hmm. And he's here at 4 a.m. getting the field ready. Uh, the pride that he takes in this field is outstanding. And um, I think that really drew the Yankees to us and enticed them to uh, give us this amazing opportunity. Yeah. Groundskeepers... I'll, I'll I'll go out and say that they're the hardest working um, individuals in minor league baseball, um, at least physically. I, I'll I'll say that much. Um, but yeah, you guys always had a great reputation in indie ball as one of the best ran operations, and yeah, that was no secret. I mean, I've I've worked for some organizations that we're on the lower ranks of um best ran organizations let's just, let's just say that um and and yeah and they and they kept their affiliation and for for years and and you know that kind of stuff and then here you guys are making a big splash and and like i said it was shocking to me but also not really um i just didn't know like it was a possibility i guess yeah and quite honestly we were we were very happy doing our thing and staying as an independent team for a long time. We've been very successful at it for over two decades, which is not easy to do. Yeah. Um, this wasn't really something that we were shopping around and looking around for mm -hmm. uh, when the Yankees came calling, and that's the biggest name and the biggest brand in all of sports. Right. Uh, it's hard to say no to that. Yeah. And um, I, I genuinely don't know if we would have accepted an opportunity elsewhere, um, but this is this was an opportunity that we were very honored to even be thought of right for and worked very hard to get to this point yeah well congratulations again um and we're going to take this opportunity to cut to a break and we'll be right back with more of uh zach heller and i's conversation right after these messages
All right, welcome back, Zach. Again, thank you so much for taking the time tonight to to chat with me uh, for the Pulling Tart Podcast. What's the best promotion that you've ever been a part of? This was a this is a question that at first I was just caught off guard by. I'm like, oh wow, that's because my league baseball is you got a promotion every day, right? Um, right. Bill Veck used to say you got to give him a reason to come to the park, mm-hmm. um, and then. It hit me as the obvious answer. Um, the 2017 Atlantic League All-Star Game mm. that we hosted. Um, that was just such an amazing process. I'm sure. Of, yeah. Let me tell you. Um, work for that started right at the conclusion of the 2016 season. Um, the amount of detail that went into this, um, our senior director of, uh, senior vice president of uh, marketing, Dave Merrick, really made this his poster child. Mm. Um, He worked very closely with our then director of marketing. And the theme was revolutionary uh, war. Um, Oh, wow. Somerset County being so engulfed in that, uh, in that history. Um, So just the detail that went into the reenactors that we had come out, the historical societies that we partnered with, um, all the pomp and circumstance the day of with, uh, we had horses on the field for the national anthem. Okay. We had uh, a George Washington reenactor throw out the first pitch. Nice. We had a town crier yell play ball. Um, we had a Broadway singer um, perform the national anthem. Wow. Just all the T's were crossed. All the I's were dotted. Um, it was so incredible to be a part of um, that it just really lends itself as proof of what promotional masterpiece really is. Um, now it's not something that you can do for every game yeah, <laughs> or, sure. uh, or anything. This <laughs> took so much time and energy, um, that it is at the, at the conclusion of it, we kind of looked around and we're like, so we don't have to do this for another eight years, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I've, I worked in minor league baseball for eight years and I never got a chance to host an all-star game. Um, I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse, but, um, uh, yeah, I know a lot of work goes into them, um, and wow, that that sounds like a lot of detail that went into that, and uh, shout out to you guys for doing that, that's for sure. We we even had this one thing that uh, that still stands out to me to this day. Um, we used to have a mascot, uh, General Admission, um, that was a Revolutionary nice. War General, and nice. we had him film a video that we sent on a flash drive to all the players that were invited as all-stars. Okay. And it was just so creative and just such a little part of it that you'd never think of. Like, what are these players getting as, like, an invitation? You had that flash drive that you would play and just, like, a welcome packet and just all these things that I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I never would have thought to do that in a million years. Right. But Dave's creative juices are flowing and he's just foaming at the mouth with all these ideas and it was it was incredible to watch and yeah. very, very inspiring. So so here's a question off the top of my head. So now granted, like minor league baseball is the is the land of, you know, ideas coming to fruition, right? Um, but indie ball gives you more freedom as far as marketing ideas because, because you guys are paying the players, um, and you don't have an affiliate to answer to, um, to ask if, you know, can we do this? Can we do that? Um, 
it, do you, do you think the like you guys are still going to be able to have these like amazing promotional ideas and and fit into the affiliated baseball scheme if you will i certainly anticipate that yeah um everything that we've done in the past two decades we always viewed ourselves as actually called ourselves the yankees of the atlantic league okay um so we kind of held ourselves to a certain standard and while we maintained a lot of the fun hokiness that is minor league baseball we kind of kept it to a pr- very professional standpoint right. on setting that bar. Um, so in my mind, we were already doing those sorts of things without limiting our creativity. Okay. Um, so I fully anticipate us having very similar and um, the same level of creativity and awesome promotions that our fans have come to expect from us. Okay. Wow. All right. I'm looking, looking forward to keeping keeping tabs on you guys, that's for sure. Um, I'm a, I'm only here in Delaware, so it could it could be that I make a trip up there next. You just next, let me know, and I'll get summer. it all taken care of for you. All right, man. I'm glad to hear that. So, um, as we alluded before, you know, you spent some time in the clubhouse. What's and and I've spent my fair share of time in the clubhouse as well. Uh, and I know the antics that go on in there, um, some of which I can't share on this podcast, some of which I can, but what's the funniest story from inside the clubhouse? So you even alluded to it just there. You're kind of handcuffed me with my answer here. Yeah. I can only share probably 10% of the, uh, the stories. Hey, um, if you if you don't drop names, you know, that's okay too. Um, of course, honorable mentions go to all the kangaroo courts yep. uh, that I've seen, those are always classics. Um, we had somebody on the team for a couple of years, uh, former Mets top prospect, uh, Bill Pulsifer. Mm. Um, and I always I always thought every single thing that he did was the funniest thing. Every single thing that came out of his mouth was hysterical. So honorable mentions there. Um, but going with a specific instance, um, I would say there's one time where uh, one of the players on our team, Josh Presley, had pulled a prank where he put Kool-Aid powder in the cleats of the starting catcher without him recognizing it. And then, so, throughout the course of the game, especially being the catcher, he's sweating like crazy. Yeah. And you're getting the the moisture from the sweat mixing with the Kool-Aid powder. So a little bit of Kool-Aid's being made, the bottom of his feet are turning green, and especially being a high schooler, watching all this happen, it was just the funniest thing that I had seen. (laughs) So much so that uh, I actually took that inspiration and then replicated it among our uh, high school wrestling locker room. Nice. And I pulled that same prank myself. Okay. All right. I I haven't heard of that one, but that's a good one. I like it. It's a quality one, especially if you get a big sweater. Yeah. And uh, uh, the bottom of this kid's shoes from wrestling were green for about two weeks. (laughs) That's awesome. Love it. Yeah. So... One of your responsibilities um, in your role is is sales, whether that's sponsorship, tickets, groups, um, and and I've done a, my fair share in sales as well. I think everybody has to to a certain degree um, that works in sports. So, I mean, this is this is a vague question, but what's the number one secret to sales? That's a great point. I mean, sales is king in minor league baseball. 
And anybody listening out there that's looking to get a career in sports, you're going to have to start with sales. Um, what I'm very lucky about is the Patriots have allowed us to go to a couple different sales seminars. Uh, it was a league-wide function when we were in the Atlantic League. Uh-huh. Um, now is kind of how we kicked off sales season for a couple years there. That was always very beneficial. Nice. Um, they've even brought in uh, Sandler sales training a couple times. That was always very beneficial. Um, but the number one thing that I view that as is very similar to somebody learning new pitching mechanics or hitting mechanics. You got to learn from as many professionals as you can and yep. learn what works for them. Mm-hmm. But then you can't just immediately make that your delivery or your uh, hitting stance. Right. You got to learn from them, try it out, and see what feels comfortable. Because what works for person A doesn't always work for person B. Sure. You got to try it out. You got to experiment with it. And you got to try to use it in your repertoire, tweak it a little bit so it's comfortable for you, and then create your own repertoire or to relate it back to sports again, create your own delivery or batting stance based on the input that you've gotten from so many people. Uh, Because if it doesn't sound or feel natural to you, on the other end of that call, it's not going to sound natural to them. And nobody's going to buy from somebody that isn't confident and somebody that's sounding like they're just going through the motions and just herky-jerky trying to come up with something. Yeah. So that's what I would say personally. Okay, yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I learned from a guy named Bill Chaya. And um, him he, him and I both work for State Farm, actually, now. And uh, in baseball, he could sell ice to a polar bear, man. It was insane. The things I saw when, when tagging along with him to meetings was absolutely incredible. Um, and... And you're absolutely right. The more meetings you go on with with other salespeople and you learn, you know, how they do things and you learn you learn this trick, you learn that trick, you learn this conversation, you learn that conversation. And then at the end of the day, to me it's all about building a relationship. If they can trust you, then then the sale, you know, should be relatively simple. Um, if and I and Bill would Bill would say uh, if they if they trust you to watch their dog while they're out of town, then then the then the sale will be simple. So I believe it was Zig Ziglar that once said, uh, "When all else fail, when all else even, people want to buy from their friends. Mm-hmm. Even when all else isn't even, people want to buy from their friends." Yep, that just shows what relationship building and trust building also makes a massive massive impact in it absolutely i mean you and you can listen back to like episodes of the podcast but i mean speaking from experience um you know and i've interviewed a couple people you know you sell sell a 12 game plan or something like that and then it turns into a you know four full seasons and then that turns into a big group outing and then that turns into uh, you know, a big sponsorship sale, and it builds every year. As long as they trust you, you know the sale. The sale should keep coming for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Not a great more. Yeah. So, what's the worst excuse a game day staff member has ever used to call out of work? I know. I know that you're in charge of scheduling a lot of game day staff, and um, 
speaking from experience, those excuses can get pretty wild. Yes. So what's the worst that has come across your plate? Um, well, I'm going to say this hoping that the individual doesn't listen to this podcast, because uh, that certain individual will recognize it right away. Oh. But So this was a game in which, behind the scenes, we were already spreading our staff a little thin just because the group sales areas were all full that day. Um, all of them need to be manned by a game day staffer. Right. So we spread ourselves a little thin, and a lot of the full, a lot of the game day staff that I usually rely on just were not available that day coming into it. So I okay. knew I was playing uh, behind the eight ball. And this individual emails me about two o'clock, maybe a little bit earlier, uh, for a seven o'clock game, mm-hmm. five thirty report time. Yeah. And says that they were cleaning the attic all morning and are feeling a little too tired and dehydrated to come in. (laughs) Now, this is 2 p.m. when you don't got to be in for another three and a half hours. Right. You can't just sit in the AC for a couple hours. Or grab a Gatorade or, yeah. Take a nap. Um, And this was an individual that we relied on very heavily throughout the course of their time here. They were usually very reliable and never came up with excuses or never called out. Wow. So I was shocked to hear something like this wow. come from that individual. Um, but that, that was an all-timer in my book. That's a, that's a good one. Wow. <laughs> All right. Yeah. What's the craziest situation that occurred during a game that you had to assist with? I'm sure, I'm sure you get, you know, called on the radio or on the walkie all the time to put out this fire and put out that fire. So what's the craziest one? Well, that's life and operations, honestly. Yeah. Um, I love that. I love that about it because no two days are the same and I can't predict what today is going to bring. Very true. Um, That's, that's just awesome for me personally. Um, I mean, you have your countless radio calls of sinks, not stopping, uh, toilets overflowing, uh, uh, spills and drops all over the concourse. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my favorite one most recently was this past season. Uh, we had a very truncated season that we basically created ourselves um, in amazement. And the fact that we only had 500 persons in the ballpark as a whole following COVID protocols, uh, okay. we anticipated being a little bit slower and not really having many stories. So right. That's why that sticks out pretty good. Yeah. And uh, we had a raccoon come in from the uh, side entrance Without a ticket, I mean, the nerve of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I get a call on the radio from our uh, vice president of operations, Brian Awicki, and he's uh, he's like, hey, Zach, uh, I need you to bring the golf cart around to the third base gate. I uh, trapped the raccoon in the trash can here, and we're going to take him for a little ride. Nice. <laughs> so I was all jacked up and ready to go. Pulled the, tr- the um, golf cart alongside. We take him outside the third base gate, and the way TD Bank Ballpark is, we have right across the street is kind of like a uh, shopping center, and next to it is kind of like a little river-type um, ravine. Okay. And so I thought it was the coolest thing ever, driving a golf cart on the main road um, nice. just across the street, so it was, it was fine, but it was the right. coolest thing in the world that day. Yeah. Um, I, I was anticipating a slow day, and all of a sudden I'm driving a golf cart with a raccoon in the back. Nice. <laughs> so that brought a lot of entertainment. Okay. To my day. And then we 
we put it over the fence, let it let it run free, and uh, thankfully didn't see the thing again. All right. Well, that's good. Um, so I did I did come up with a question off the top here, um, and I didn't realize this. I guess uh, what was it like hosting games? During, you know, the protocol that was COVID. Um, like you said, you limited to 500 fans per game. Um, what other hoops did you guys have to go through for that? Uh, so you, st- you alluded to it a little bit earlier with the, um, the restrictions on the attendance. Uh, essentially what we did was we limited it to 500 persons inside the ballpark total. Uh, so that included staff, players, coaches, oh, wow. training staff, etc. Uh, so we really only kept it to about 425 fans just to be safe. Wow, okay. Keep things under that. Um, we kept the talent to all New Jersey talent on the field. Uh, this way we avoided uh, travel restrictions or uh, risking bringing people across state lines or anything. Okay. Uh, we performed... Uh, testing every week. Uh, the players would only play Friday and Saturday nights, uh, so we'd make sure that we got them tested before each weekend slate of games. Yeah. Um, to follow all testing protocols, um, we conducted these games for six weekends. Uh, played thirteen games. We had a third game on the uh, last weekend just in case for any ties. Okay. Uh, called it the Somerset Professional Baseball Series. Um, created the second team, the New Jersey Blasters. Nice. Um, it was awesome. We even got uh, one of the pitchers for the Blasters, Brandon Liebrandt. Uh He made an appearance with the Marlins this year. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, yeah, so we created that opportunity for a local New Jersey guy uh, to now play baseball during a pandemic and then make his dreams a reality and go back to Major League Baseball. Um, so that was, that was a very proud moment for yeah, us. Yeah, that's really cool. All right. Uh, from the fan perspective, um, it was all about making the fan feel comfortable about being in public, mm-hmm. um, which is a big challenge, but uh, we sure. constantly had uh, signage throughout the ballpark reinforcing uh, wearing your masks, uh, sanitizing and washing your hands, keeping it uh, safe distance. Um, we had hand sanitizing stations spread out throughout the ballpark. Um, we had general mission seating in which um, we mandated social distancing, including uh, people not sitting on the aisles of uh, this way, the walkways were socially distant from people sitting in the stands, um, keeping at least uh, four seats to your left or right for other traveling parties okay. or an entire row in front of back of you. Wow. Um, just maintaining those distances and really encouraging people to only sit with those that they traveled with. Right. Okay. Sure. So it was, it was a success. It really was. Um, we played all 13 games. Um we crowned the Somerset Patriots the champions. Nice. Um, uh, they won uh, the majority, so they came out. Uh, we had uh, Joe Torrey was a partner with it. Um, he had a very nice video they sent us uh, just congratulating the players and everybody on a, a successful season. Nice. Uh, we named uh, an MVP and a uh, pitcher of the year. So it was. Okay. It was. We went all out in this and uh, just looking to provide the community an outlet during such a dark time and try to be try to be that light and that uh figurehead going forward okay nice yeah that's that's just what people need man during during this whole thing um, exactly 
couldn't you know of course the ranks of affiliated baseball were were zero there was no no minor league uh baseball going on but you guys chucked through it and it sounds like it was a success so congrats again on that uh yeah so zach where can the listeners find you on social media um i'd say my two most active um i have two different twitter accounts uh one more of a professional kind of a Buy some stuff from me. Yeah, um, that's a <laughs> that's Z Keller SP, um, and then my uh, my one that I more so talk about Seton Hall basketball and uh, all my other sports fandom craziness. Um, don't laugh; it's a uh, high school nickname of Rap Master Zach. Nice. Um, all right. And then, of course, I'm I'm more than happy to connect with anybody on LinkedIn. You know, just search Zachary Keller. Uh, love to connect. Love to network. Love to just share ideas and uh, share motivating uh, tactics and ideas. Perfect. Okay, so you've listened to a couple episodes, and you know I end with the same question every time. Mm -hmm. What has been your favorite walk-up or warm-up song in your baseball career, and whose was it? So we had a player for the Patriots back in the day. His name was Josh Presley. I referenced him earlier. Yeah. And this guy is a six-foot-six uh, perennial MVP candidate and home run uh, leading candidate and just a very intimidating force at the plate and he would walk up to God's Gonna Cut You Down by Johnny Cash nice. and it's just a slow build up really really intimidating song and it just fit him perfectly and I still to this day can't hear that song without thinking about him um, he's a good friend of mine, so I'll text him randomly when the song comes on. And uh, nice. it, it really was awesome to see. Okay. Wow, that's a good one. Well, we'll ride out with some Johnny Cash. And uh, again, thank you so much, Zach, for taking the time out of your evening to come on to the Pulling Tart podcast. And this will be on the Spotify playlist that I've made uh, with with all my guests' favorite walk-up songs. And uh it's a it's a banger of a playlist, that's for sure. And uh, you're just adding to it. So, so again, thank you again, Zach, and uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Bobby. I had a great time and loved the opportunity. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. No problem. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.